0: So I want you to go somewhere with me. It's a cool spring night, 3,500 years ago, in a place called Goshen, okay? You're there with your family. You're gathered around. Everybody you love is in this household, and you could smell the roast. You could smell the smell of this roasted lamb, that has just been cooked. And you could feel the warmth of that fire on this cool spring night. It wasn't just any roast. It was the best piece of meat your family had, roasted with herbs. And you could look around and you could see everybody you loved, your family, all there, gathered. There was urgency, but there was also a sense of peace. You could taste your family's best wine that they brought out just for this special occasion. So you, you you're with me. You can feel the fire. You can taste the roasted lamb. You can smell the smells of the food. You can taste the wine. But what you hear in the distance, what you can hear out there, are screams of terror. What you can hear out there is weeping and crying. People crying out, my son, my daughter. No, not him. Please, God. Spare my child! Because that night, the Lord visited Egypt. And on Egypt, the Lord brought judgment and death and terror. But in your house, there was only peace. In your house, there was only life. In your house, there was warmth, there was protection because on the doorpost and lintel of your house was the blood of the lamb. If you have been coming on Tuesdays, Thomas has been walking through the book of Exodus with you. And he's been showing you how this ancient book about events that took place 3,500 years ago is incredibly pertinent to where we are right now and also incredibly relevant to the story of Christ and what he and what I tonight have been wanting you to see and what I want you to see. Is it all through this book, all through this story, of the people of Israel, this story of Moses, this great deliverer, this great emancipator, this great man who delivered his people, that in him, what what I hope we now, by the power of the Spirit of God and because of the mercy and grace of God, what we now can see is that in Jesus we have an even greater emancipator, an even more powerful redeemer, a better deliverer. I know that last week you looked at the plagues that that God sent upon Egypt. And it's a very powerful thing to think about. It's easy to kind of like cartoonify the plagues of Egypt. But just imagine what this was like. I mean, just imagine... What we've gone through these past two years with a plague that killed many people, but killed, well, relatively very few of us. I lost a family member. I know some of you did. But it's not like our whole world was just undone and unrested by this thing. And it was pretty devastating, Imagine if there was plague after plague after plague where loved ones and livestock and all of our wealth and all of everything we ever had all of our security was just being ripped away from us. There's one really powerful scene in Exodus chapter 10 where the servants of Egypt they come up to Moses and they say, "Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined?" Moses, do you not understand that Egypt has been ruined by this? Now, it's interesting. They were pointing to the crops. They were pointing to the death. They were pointing to the livestock that was being killed before them. But they were saying something that was really true. And that is that Egypt was ruined. Egypt was ruined because they did not worship the Lord. Because they had become the enemy of God. Because their hearts had grown hard against the true and good and beautiful Lord. And yet after all this, even though God had, in a sense, warned warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them, their hearts were still hard. Pharaoh, their leader, his heart was still hard against the Lord. He would not submit to the Lord. He would not worship the Lord. You know, I hope and pray, as we're thinking about these things tonight, there are some of you who are Egypt. And God has shown himself to you and shown himself to you and shown himself to you, and your heart is not soft to him. And actually, here, God is being gracious to Egypt he is saying recognize me see me see who I am worship me and so we see at the beginning of chapter 11 the Lord said to Moses one more plague one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt look at verse 4 of chapter 11 Moses said thus says the Lord about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor will ever be again. But not a dog will growl against the people of Israel neither man nor beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God had always made a distinction. If you read through the plagues, God had always made a distinction between Egypt and Israel, but this is a profound distinction. In Egypt, death cries, screams. In Goshen, only life. Among the people of Israel, only life. But as we read a little further, we learn how this distinction was made. Exodus 12 is really one of the most important passages in the Bible. As we see in Exodus 12, a household, every household, should take one unblemished lamb. And on this 14th day of the month of Nisan, every family of the Hebrew people would sacrifice the lamb at twilight. Look at verse seven of chapter 12. The Bible says, then take some of the blood, put it into the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they will eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it if it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Any that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Now this little phrase is interesting. Look at the next phrase here. It says, on all the gods, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I know that Thomas looked at this with y'all last week, but if you look at the plagues, and if you weren't here last week, you should listen, but if you look at the plagues, over and over and over, what we see in the plagues is an undoing of the Egyptian gods. What these plagues are showing is that these gods ultimately have no power. The people trusted in Happy, the god of the Nile, that its waters would be clean and stay flowing and God turned the water into blood. They trusted in Isis, the goddess of medicine, that their bodies would be safe from diseases like boils and God gave the people diseases and boils. They trusted in Ra, the sun god, to keep the sun shining. And all of these gods, one by one by one, had failed them. This whole story, we see the Lord showing, flexing, if you will, saying, "On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, because I am the Lord." There's this great scene. If you've watched uh, the old movie, who's, who's seen the old Ten Commandments movie? I mean, like you may have watched it like with your parents on Easter, right? Will Carlyle, he's with me. Charlton Heston. what a guy. You know, what a great actor. Yul Brynner, what a, what a great actor Yul Brynner was. And there's this scene, Yul Brynner takes his dead son and he lies him on the arms of Sokar, an Egyptian god, praying that he would bring him back to life. But of course, the god was plastic. The god was an idol. The god could do nothing God was totally unable to reverse the judgment that the true God had made on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, but the blood, the blood, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no Plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so, this ritual from that day to this day, to today, has been practiced by the Hebrew people that they would take this Passover meal, that they would have this time of remembrance, that they would remember that God had spared them, that God executed his judgments on Egypt. Verse 14, it says this day shall be a memorial day for you and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Skip down to verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. Forever. And when you come to the land of the Lord, your God will give you as he promised, you will keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but he spared us. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And from that night, all through the journey through the wilderness, all through them, their settling in the land, the promised land of God, even when they were taken away in captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, even today, even when people of Israel dispersed all over the world, in Russia and North America and in Europe and in Africa, these descendants of Abraham would celebrate this Passover meal. They would remember that the Lord had spared them that the Lord was with them. And of course, included in there, on this 14th day of the month of Nisan, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem the night that he was betrayed to celebrate this practice. And what he said to them that night would change their lives and through them our lives forever. Look at Luke 22 with me. This is Luke 22, verse 14. It says, When the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which was given to you. And uh, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup, saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. Did you see what he's doing here? They've been taking this for fifteen hundred years. Every year, they've been having this meal, breaking the bread, drinking the cup, remembering the sacrifice of the Lord, remembering that God had spared them, remember that the blood of the Lamb had shielded them, had protected them from the destruction that God prod- that, that God had brought upon. The Egyptians, and here's Jesus on the night before he goes to the cross, and he says, Don't you see this bread? This is my body. Don't you see this blood, this cup? This is my blood. He's explaining to them something. He is saying to them, I am the Lamb, I am the sacrifice. I am the one. I am what this whole thing means. I am the one that will ultimately keep you safe. Don't you see that all of this is pointing to me? And still to this day, we take this meal. Now, we're not going to tonight. But I do hope that tonight, as we talk about what this meal teaches us, that you would long to take it. That you would long to take it you would long to celebrate what we celebrate with this Passover meal, with this, as Jesus instituted, the Lord's Supper. And so for the rest of our time, I want to think about three things that this meal teaches us. The first thing that we remember as we take the Lord's Supper is the wrath that we have been spared from. Look at Exodus 12, verse 29. It says, "...at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt." from the firstborn of pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon to the firstborn of all the livestock and pharaoh rose up in the night he and his servants and all the egyptians and there was a great cry in egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead this this passage will really grab you if you think about it Here's Pharaoh. He has all the power in the world. I mean, this is the most powerful man in the world. This man has everything. He could say something and it's done. He has slaves, servants everywhere that would do whatever he desires him to do. In fact, the people thought that he was a god. They would do whatever he said. And yet, Pharaoh and the person in the dungeon shared the same fate. Death came to them both. And no power, no wealth, no authority made any difference in the face of death. Jonathan Edwards wrote this one time. He says, Death serves all alike. As he deals with the poor, so he deals with the rich. Death is not Death is not odd at the appearance of a proud palace, a numerous attendance, or a majestic countenance, he pulls a king out of his throne and summons him before the judgment seat of God with as few compliments and his little ceremony as he takes the poor man out of his cottage. Death is as rude with emperors as with beggars and handles one with as much gentleness as the other. And the truth is, death will come to us all. You know, I turned 40 two weeks ago. And turning 40 is good because you remember, okay, I'm halfway there. I'm going to die. I, uh, a friend of mine uh, turned 40 in the fall. She and I are in the same class, class of 2000, um, and, but she had a fall birthday. But anyway, she had her, she had her uh, birthday party in the fall, and she had it at Oakland Cemetery. And I thought, what a great place to have a birthday, a 40th birthday party. We, we sat out there, and we had this great feast, and we were surrounded by all these graves. And it was a reminder to all of us that one day we will die. Death will come for us. No matter how much influence we have, no matter what great things we've done, and we will stand before the judgment seat of God. Here's Egypt. They had sinned. They had brutally treated the people of Israel. Their hearts were hard before the Lord. And now they were experiencing the judgment, the wrath of God against their sin. And Israel was spared. Why? Why was Israel spared? Was it because Israel was so good? <laughs> is Israel spared, is Israel the chosen people of God because they were so good? No, these people weren't good. Just look at them. Just look at them even through the whole Exodus story. All these plagues are happening. God is showing up in these amazing ways and they're complaining. Just after this story, they get out of the wilderness. God's freed them from Egypt. He's heard their cries. He's freed them in the most profound way ever. And they're complaining. They're wanting to go back to Egypt. These people were not good. Their hearts were hard against the Lord, too. And you know what the truth is? Neither are we. Who here is good? You know the simplest command in the Bible? The simplest command, like the first command, the easiest one, the first one love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one love your neighbor as you love yourself, who does that? If I took all the energy and time and effort that you spent loving God and compared it to how much energy and time and effort you spend thinking about yourself, if I took all the energy and time and effort that you spend loving your neighbor and compared it with how much energy and time you spend thinking about yourself and thinking about your agenda and thinking about your story, thinking about your narrative I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it doesn't compare. You don't do that. You don't do the simplest command. And neither do I. And neither did the people of Israel. Why were they spared? Were they spared because they were good? No. They were spared because blood was on the doorpost of their house. That is what spared them. That they were spared by the blood of the Lamb. Death is coming for all of us. It is. You don't feel like it, but it is. You'll feel like it more when you get to be my age. One day you will stand before the Lord. And you will either stand before him on that day alone like Pharaoh, putting all of your wealth and riches and good deeds and accomplishments before him, but alone. Or you'll stand before God, shielded, covered, protected by the blood of the Lamb through faith in Jesus. Those are your two options. Those are the two pathways. To to stand there like Pharaoh with all of your strength and all of your might and see who truly is the Lord or to be shielded, to be protected by the blood of the Lamb. So the first thing the Lord's supper reminds us of is the wrath that we have been spared from in Christ. But the second thing that it reminds us of is the sacrifice that was actually made on twilight, this night of the Passover, when it's still light enough to see, at twilight, the the command is specific, before the sun goes down, is as it were, gather the whole family together and sacrifice this lamb. Let the family see that the lamb is being sacrificed, that the lamb is dying in their place, that a lamb and the blood of the lamb is what is going to protect them from the punishment that they deserved. And lambs continue to be a part of worship in Israel. This is a common theme throughout, this this idea of sacrifice, that people would see that sin is costly. Lambs not only have to deal with the day of Passover, as we see here, but it has to deal with one of the most important days, in the Jewish calendar, which is the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And on that day, the high priest would take a lamb and after great ceremonial washing, would go into the presence of God and would sacrifice that lamb in the presence of God for the unconfessed sin of the people. Then the high priest would take his bloody hands after sacrificing that lamb and he would put it on the head of another lamb, a goat. They called this the azazel, the scapegoat. And with his bloody hands, do you see it? On the head of this goat, blood dripping down the goat's face. He would speak the sins of the people, as it were, into this goat. And then the goat was led outside of the city of Jerusalem to die in the wilderness. And it was a sign to the people that God had forgiven their sins, By the blood of the Lamb, their sin has been separated from them, that his blessing could be restored to them, that his blessing could be given to him. And don't you see when Jesus came, John the Baptist looked at him coming in, coming to be baptized, and he said, this is the Lamb. Only this is the Lamb. This is the Lamb of God. This is the unblemished land of God. This is the one who we can all be shielded behind. This is the one who will take away the sin of the whole world. And that's what happened. I mean, in a very real sense, don't miss the story of Jesus' trial. You have Jesus, the innocent. You have Barabbas, the guilty. Blood was on his hands. This, This man was very guilty And what did the people say? They said, let the guilty man go and let the innocent man die. And in a very real sense, that is a picture of the gospel. God says to you in Christ, let the guilty man go and let the innocent man die. And after that, Jesus was led through the city with a crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his head, and he went through the city of Jerusalem, outside of the city, as it were with our sin, the sin of man, on his head. And he died in our place. And what a sacrifice it was. You know, I think about, I've always thought about this. If, if, if what is just in the courtroom of God for a life of sin and disobedience is hell. It's a very hard thing to think about. But if that's what is just, if that's what God's holiness and our sin calls for is is hell, eternal separations from God, then on the cross, Jesus not only took or endured one hell, but he endured the hell of everyone who would believe. What a sacrifice. He endured all of our Hells! What a sacrifice. The guilty one could go free because the innocent one died. And in him, and only in him, we can be shielded. We can be protected. We can be set free. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, it seemed as if hell were put into a cup, and Jesus seized it. And in one tremendous drought of love, he drank damnation dry. When we take the Lord's Supper, we think of the wrath that we have been spared of. We think of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But lastly, and I want to drive this home with you, we think of the peace that this gives us. If you are in Christ, you really have nothing to fear. If you are in Christ, you really are safe. If you are in Christ, you really have found fellowship with God. And I think this is hard to believe. I'm sure there were some Hebrew people that night in Goshen. And they were celebrating the meal. And all of a sudden, in the distance, they heard the first scream Of the Egyptian, right? They heard him and they was like, Okay, death is coming, and they know what's happening. They're starting to hear the screams. I'm sure there were some people that night, and they were like, Look at this. Look at this. The blood is on our door. God is sparing us. We are safe. Look at how God, look at how our God is undoing all the gods of Egypt. There were some people like that night with that kind of faith. There were other people that night. And they heard those screams. They were saying, Are you sure you did it right? Are you sure you put the blood in the right place? Are you sure you did the right thing? Did you kill the lamb just like God told you to? Did you do everything right? And they're sitting there and they're trembling to death thinking, Oh my goodness, we're all gonna die in here. There were some people that night, and they were good people. They, 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 had, they had followed the way of God as best they knew how. There were some people that night that were in those houses. And they thought to themselves, I've done worse things than any of these Egyptians have done. There were some people that night with really, really strong faith. There were some people that night with really, really weak faith. But here's the deal. It didn't matter how strong or weak their faith was. What mattered is who their faith was in. It wasn't the strength of their faith that really mattered. It was the object of their faith that mattered. And the same is true for you. Some of you are coming here, in here tonight, and you could not be stronger in the Lord. You, you led like 58 people to Christ just yesterday. You've read your whole Bible in the past 10 days. You have not thought a bad thought in like 85 hours I mean, you are just killing it, and you came in here tonight strong. You didn't have meat, you didn't complain. You're like, I only eat vegetables anyway, because I'm on the Joshua diet, you know. Some of you came in here tonight like that. There's someone here, you came in here tonight, and you're like, man, <laughs> if these people knew, if this guy knew, and you're struggling to believe this stuff. And you try to read the Bible and it doesn't make a ton of sense to you. And there's some sin that's plaguing you. Here's what I want to say to you tonight: stay in the house. Stay in the house. It's safe in the house. Keep looking to Jesus. As long as you're in the house, it doesn't matter if your faith's really strong or really weak. As long as you're in your house, you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Keep looking to Jesus. Stay in the house. Stay in the house. Don't separate. Don't quit going. Don't don't pull away from what you know is true and right. Stay in the house. There's peace in the house. There's life in the house. Keep looking to the Lord. It's not the strength of your faith that matters so much. It's the object of your faith. And if you're looking to the one who can save you, if you're looking at the one who really loves you, if you're looking at the one who's really true and beautiful and good, Christ Jesus, the Lord. He'll bring you through. Your faith will grow. You'll you'll, you'll become strong in the Lord. I just know it. Stay in the house. Don't run in this time. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the wrath that we have been spared from only because of Jesus. And we remember it because of the sacrifice that he endured. And we remember that because he's endured that, He's given us peace. You know, this Pharaoh, (laughs) this Pharaoh that is here, his child is dead, his father put to death all of the baby boys in Egypt. Remember this story from the beginning of the book of Exodus? And now judgment has fallen on his household and there's nothing he can do to restore the life of his lifeless son. But our heavenly father, three days after Jesus died and endured the price of all of our sin, he endured the hell of everyone in this room who would believe, the hell of Christians throughout the centuries who would believe. Our father, our heavenly father, raised him back to life. And he is preparing a place for you. And he's taking you And it sometimes feels like a wilderness, but he's taking you to a promised land, to a home where all has been made right and well, where his promises will all be full. Stay in the house. He's the giver of life. Keep looking to him. Let's pray. The operative word when Jesus introduced the Lord's Supper is remember. Remember, remember, remember what the Lord has done for us. Remember what he spared us from. Remember how deeply he loves us. Remember that on our behalf, he took that cup of wrath and drank damnation dry. Remember the peace that he gives. Remember that our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in what we achieve. It's not even in our righteousness. Our hope is in what Jesus has done. His righteousness. His atoning death. His life. The power of his life. Jesus is alive. He is reigning. He's now interceding for those who have faith in him. Look to him now. Look to him now. And I just want to invite you here in this moment, as we close, into a moment of the most basic Christian action, which is repentance and faith. As the Lord in this moment is bringing conviction to your heart where there might be sin, that is good. That's his kindness. Repent of those things. Turn from from the other doorposts that you're trusting in and trust in the ones that have the blood of the lamb on them. Repentance and faith. Turn from that, whatever it is, and turn to Christ. Look to Jesus. Thank Jesus. Confess Jesus. Hope in Jesus. Father, give us this faith. And Father, as we have this faith, Lord, as we trust in the blood of the Lamb that has been shed on our behalf, I pray that you would be creating a people of your own possession that would bring you glory and praise and honor. We love you, Lord. We respond now to your great love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.